the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And the time is 6.20 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. And uh, you can give us a call, one 367 5329 Three lines open, and we are engaging in discussion. And we can broaden that if you have a question or a concern. You have an opportunity to call, one 367 5329 Let's go to line two and talk with Karen in Oakland. Karen, thank you for your patience. No problem. Thanks for taking my call. What's up? Um, well, I've been saved since I was seven years old. Okay. And um, my mom raised my sister and I in church from a very young age. And um, my mom passed in 2011. And that just left my sister and I. And my sister suffered from bipolar manic disorder. Sure for 27 years, so I raised all three of her children, and right now I have her last child, that's 20, and she's suffering from chronic depression. Right. And um, my sister is in an episode, she's been off her meds for 18 months now, and my her daughter that I'm raising, her father is also bipolar, and so I've just been kind of discouraged because I just prayed that the Lord would spare this child, even though she had two bipolar parents, that she would not have to suffer. Right. And I thought we had made it. She turned 20 and she was going to go to Paul Mitchell School. She's going to be an esthetician. And, but then it just hit her hard and I'm I don't have fear but I have this sadness right and I know God is never gonna leave me or forsake me he's been with my family all this time mm-hmm. but there's just a sadness and a a fear of that what is it about mental illness that is so hard to see God hand in it. Right. I don't know. Right. And so I'm, uh, you know, my faith is not wavering because I've seen what he can do. I know he's seen me through so much in my family. And, um, but it was something about this last child that just really hit me. And I've been praying over, her, I've been praying with her, but last week she decided to leave and go stay with her dad. And I'm now I have to lean on the Lord even more because I know his state of mind. And I'm, I just have so many questions about as a believer, mm-hmm. how, how do I pray? And I know God's with us through it all. We're going through it. Sure. He doesn't leave us, sure. but, 
sometimes there isn't an answer, and I'm just in a point in my life being 61 years old. I don't want to be in this place where I can't know that God is going to see me through all of this pain right now. Right. Um, so there are a lot of people who are listening, um, Karen, who can identify with you. I'm sure you know that, that the community of um, of, of people, of our family members, of our relatives and people with whom we know intimately and, and casually who deal with mental illness are uh, are numerous. There are m- multiple situations where this is happening across the nation and around the world, uh, uh, the truth be told. And at the foundation of these problems for us as believers, as men and women who who understand what redemption is, we understand that we are sinful people and we have to, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts uh, allows us to own that, that we are sinful. And this is why proper biblical teaching is so critical to dealing with the rigors of life that at the foundational level of everything that we perceive and understand properly to be wrong and out of order and out of kilter and um, uh, malignant and, uh, uh, and and out of alignment, all of this brokenness, all of this sorrow, all of this pain that you and I are uh, enveloped in and have to deal with on a daily basis at the foundation of it is sin. And you believe that, I believe that, and it impacted us not only in terms of um, our spirit, but it in- impacted us in terms of our physiology, it impacted us in terms of our our mentality, our emotional makeup, and, and therefore, um, when we have family members who have these major, major, major um, illnesses on a uh, on a psychological level, we are dealing with impairments that are uh, both um, psychological in terms of uh, biochemical disorders in the brain, as the doctors are able to somewhat detect it. And then just the mystery of genetic breakdown uh, in, in our in our physiology that also impacts the equilibrium of our, our our perception of the world, the perception of ourselves, our sense of uh, again uh, a balance uh, between dealing with the struggles and challenges of life optimistically and skeptically or pessimistically, and how that events can enter into our lives as I. Uh, so stated in my opening commentary, the experiences that reinforce uh, irrational and unhealthy fears can be outward things. They can be genetic things, genetic things, as you are stating that her parents were both uh, diagnosed with being bipolar. Uh, these things are part of our lives. They are part of our lives. And since the fall of humanity, what God has called us to do is to embrace them uh, with him, uh, by his grace, and uh, according to his counsel, according to his wisdom and his power, to uh, to a deal to deal with and address those challenges that come to us either by assignment from God, as is the case with you having to raise several uh, siblings and and children that are not yours because of the maladjustment uh, mentally of your loved ones. 
And others do it just because they feel a passion and a calling. This is why they go into psychology and psychiatry and, and medicine and, and therapy of all sorts of, uh, of uh, all sorts of particular offices relative to the needs. Even me as a pastor, I have to be somewhat equipped to be able to deal with behavior. Uh, because that's really what we are concerned about, not only how people feel, but how people act as a consequence of how they feel. And what First John chapter 4, verse 18 does for you and me is it kind of narrows, it narrows the options that we would be inclined to choose as paths to go down to deal with problems. When John says, um, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in a day of judgment. What he is saying is that God is love, and he that dwelleth in God dwelleth in love, and, and God in him and he in God, that at the foundation of the motivation for what you and I are called to do, in order to achieve anything that is beyond our natural pay grade to deal with, we need God to continually pour his love into our lives. And so First John chapter 4 addresses that at the opening of the chapter in dealing with discerning love, about knowing how to hear the right voices, verses 1 through 5. And then it deals with what we would call divine love. And that is to let us know, uh, uh, Karen, that God is love and that God is love in terms of the Father being the source and giver of every good and perfect gift. And the Son is love and that he laid down his life for our sin. And the sin is the fundamental problem and the ground zero of our daily struggles. The death of Jesus Christ plays a major role in our sin problem. By his stripes, you are healed. We have to walk through that promise in Isaiah 53 very carefully. And then the presence of the Spirit of God, which came as a consequence of the Father and Son sending him to make Jesus and the Father a reality in our life and to equip us and empower us to deal with all this brokenness. Now, you have already affirmed what chapter 5 has stated about you. What is it that overcomes this world? Verse four, is it not even this, even our faith? And you've already affirmed, Karen, that you are a believer in God, that you trust God, that God has been with you up to this point. And I would affirm that in my own life with the myriad of trials that I have gone through as well. What we want to do is recognize that sometimes, and this is important, that we go through ebbs and flows of strength and weaknesses in terms of God's presence and his power and his provisions, his providences, the gifts that he gives to us, uh, means of dealing with difficulties. We sometimes are resourced by God so significantly that we are optimistic about dealing with multiple challenges that come our way with people we love and care about because the love of God is flowing into us by the Holy Ghost, Romans 5, 4 and 5, poured into our hearts, gushing into our soul and giving us the power that drives our faith to move in a direction of loving people like you are doing. But sometimes we, we find a dissipation, a waning of that love, which becomes a waning of that faith because we're human and we get weak and we get tired and we get weary and therefore we get negative and we find ourselves struggling with being able to even express faith 
And that may very well be where you are. At this time, what you and I need to know is God specifically dwells with us when we are in our low estate and not operating out of confidence levels that we may have inadvertently assumed as our own and not the consequence of communion and fellowship with God. He will allow our tank to go low enough for us to get back to a deep and more sincere dependence upon him in real time, in the moment. The analogy that I'm going to use before I go to the break would be this. This is so important because, as I was stating earlier, Karen, that I was talking with a missionary friend of mine, and he works with a lot of poor people in villages in Papua New Guinea. And uh, the people don't have nothing of the kind of resources that you and I have, where their refrigerators can be full of food, their cabinets can be bulging out with food, and their cupboards can be filled with all kinds of grains and rices and and sugars and, and things like that, that we can go to the supermarket and get and just flood our house so that we are never, ever operating out of a daily bread paradigm of need for God to provide for us today. And then when today is over with, we need him to radically provide for us tomorrow. Nope. We operate out of a presumption of resources that allow us to go weeks and sometimes months. And some of us have not ever really looked in the cupboard and it's been bare. Well, sometimes that's good because we get to see where our faith is and get to watch our faith get cultivated once again upon a raw, utter, total dependence upon God at the naked level of absolute hope, which, you know, we had not been operating in in a long time. The other thing is, as we are getting older and you and I are in the same boat age-wise, we do naturally begin to become less confident in ourselves because our strength is waning. We're not sure that we can engage the same battles perpetually, ad infinitum, with the same kind of energy and uh, and confidence and outcome. And so it's the uncomfortable place of needing to simply trust God one day at a time and watch him come through, making sure, Karen, that we use all the resources that he has at our availability. One is... I mean, I'm glad you called. I really am glad you called because we've got a lot of people who pray for people who call with challenges like yours. And in my church, the church I pastor, we've got these same issues that you are talking about. I mean, right now, just a patent example of that goes on in our church for which we pray sincerely on Tuesdays, which uh, inevitably you your name will come up tomorrow in our prayer service. And that's what the body of Christ is all about as well. And my prayer is that God would bring about a remedy for you uh, in terms of your situation, and you'll be able to call back and demonstrate how God has faithfully come through, not only dealt with your situation existentially in terms of the people involved with you, but granted you a restoration of the soul and the spirit an increase of uh, an influence, confluence of his spirit and his word in your life so that you 
are restored in your joy and restored in your confidence and restored in your optimism of faith because that's what you and I need is our our faith to be strengthened. That's what we want for you. And that's what we believe will happen. We believe that God can't lie, change, or fail. Do you? Yes, I believe that. And we believe that God's going to do that for you. And when he does, we want you to call back because we're a family here, a community of believers. And uh, let us let us let us know. I thank you for the call. My dear sister, we are praying for you. Bless you. Thank you. All right. Got to take a break. All the lines are open. Got 30 minutes. One triple eight. 367-5329. 367 Talk to me. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back at the time 640, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. All of our lines are open. If you want to call in as Dick Karen and Ellen earlier and uh, raise a question, uh, ask about a need, uh, deal with a biblical text you made, one 367 1-888-367-5329. All the lines are open. You can give me a call. The, um, the topic of 1 John chapter 4 is so critically important relative to, well, you know, what Karen is going through uh, and what you and I do go through. <clears throat> I quote a lot of principles in our church frequently and I repeat them over and over in order that the salient point might be driven home around essential Christian doctrine that we often take for granted. For instance, faith. Faith is no doubt a gift of God. It has absolutely no place in the intrinsic uh, existence of human beings in a fallen in a fallen nature. That is to say, saving faith. The, the faith of God's elect, the fruit of the spirit does not exist in an unsaved person. He does not have saving faith. He may have faith in many different things, but he can never have faith in God. This is the fundamental meaning of being an unbeliever. Apistuos. He is a person, apistis, he is a person without faith, no faith at all. We are born that way without faith. Faith is a gift of God. But when faith is given, what is faith designed to do? Many things, of which one is to believe God. The purpose of faith is in order that the person who becomes a believer is able to embrace the promises of God and engage God at the level of his promises. This is what Paul meant when he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. That concept of faith is how the believer is to walk. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. Faith lays hold of the promises of God for things present things past and things future because God is an eternal God. He's omniscient. That means he's omnipresent. That means he operates beyond the linear space of what we would call temporal time as we would know it. He's always pushing us into the future. That's God. We are always forward looking. But in as much as we are forward looking, ladies and gentlemen, we are therefore always forward challenged because we know not what tomorrow may bring, do we? Therefore, we have to believe God for a stable 
spiritual and mental and emotional constitution to handle the throes of what tomorrow may bring. Now, God, as a rule, is just so good to us on so many levels that he never, ever um, brings about things in our lives for which he does not have the capacity to help us get through them. Otherwise, God would be a tempter of us and God tempts no man since he cannot be tempted. He always makes a way of escape for those who trust him. But that process of trusting him is where you and I have to learn that faith is designed to humble you. Faith is never given to you for exaltation, for self-aggrandizement, for for a kind of pride and pompous confidence that we become arrogant and, and do like a lot of religions uh, in the name of Christianity do, begin to demand God and decree things and, and walk as if somehow you actually do have absolute control over the world. You don't. What overcomes the world is faith, but what faith looks like on a practical, visible, and observable level is the believer being humbled by the difficulties of life and being led by that humility to trust God. At what time I am afraid, Psalm 56 says, I will trust in you, O Lord. See how paradoxical that is? I'm afraid. Therefore, I will trust God because only trusting God and faith works by what? What does faith work by? Get it now. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. It works by love. Love has to drive my faith. Faith then lays hold on God and waits for God to come through or waits for God's answer to give me that I might do what is necessary for God to come through. Sometimes faith finds a promise of God that requires me to go to somebody else for help. Sometimes faith finds a promise of God that mandates that I go to no one else but God. It all depends on what the situation is. Uh, Karen called by faith, I believe. And by faith, God granted her a promise, we believe. Because by faith, I came on this program wanting to talk about the tough topic of love and its maturing benefit in our life to mitigate all of these fears and phobic issues that can paralyze our witness and our walk with God. Well, certainly, we want our sister to walk in fullness, don't we? We don't want her to be hindered by any of these temporal things that are so challenging in her life. And so we must pray that God would strengthen her faith and ours as well. Three lines open, one 367 Three lines open, one 367 Got to pay some more bills. When I come back, I'll take your phone calls on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we've got 10 minutes. Before we go, I want to invite all you men out there. If you are um, if you are hungering for the word of God, if you're hungering for healthy male fellowship, if you're hungering for uh, an intense time of biblical study and sound exposition of God's word, we hold a men's Bible study at Grace Bible Church virtually every Saturday, unless we give a notice. Starting at 7.30 p.m. every Saturday. This is a men's only Bible study. We take young men from 14, 15 years old, and we are encouraging men to come out. If you don't have a community where you are getting in the word, if Saturday nights are not nights filled with time with the family, time with the wife, if you know that you need to actually begin to develop a spiritual primer for Sunday morning worship. In other words, if you know that you actually are not doing good Saturday night, because I can tell you, 
if Saturday night is secular, Sunday morning is not going to be substantial in terms of its spiritual benefits. And this is what we've learned over the years. Often we get our work done on Saturday and we will hit the Saturday night's men Bible study and it will set our minds right. We go home 9, 9.30 and we can go home, get ready for worship and wake up that next Sunday morning. That time is already kindled because we've gathered with the brethren. We've gathered in prayer. We've gathered in proclamation. We gathered in strategy. Want to welcome all you men out to Grace Bible Church's Saturday Bible study. I and some of my other men are teachers on Saturday nights, and we always have a very relevant Christ-exalting Bible-based study. You can go online and check that out. But yeah, if you're not doing anything, come on out this Saturday and join us at 730. I'll be dealing with the love of God in first John chapter four, unpacking that uh, in a way that deals with men. Let me go to line number one and talk with Don and San Mateo. Hi, Don. What's your question or comment? Hey, Jesse, how you doing? I'm good. What's up? Hey, um, I came in kind of like at the tail end of your conversation about, you know, uh, faith um, and salvation. I have a salvation question and I know we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. We are justified by the Father uh, through that, and then we enter in a sanctification life and following Jesus and obeying him. And I know we're not perfect, and I know that the Bible clearly talks about that the Christian is not to practice a lifestyle of sin. But as I look back, and I'm not justifying this in any way, but as I look back into the Old uh, Testament uh, characters like um, Samson, uh, Lot, uh, King Saul, and look at their lives, and Samson as an example, where he was called by God, he was a Nazarene set apart as a judge, um, but yet, you know, he spent uh, his time um, in whorehouses. And and I'm trying to kind of connect, you know, if God is the same in the Old Testament as in the New Testament, and God and Christ brought God's standards down and what the Father uh, requires of us through His Son, Jesus, I don't, I'm trying to justify how these characters in the Old Testament and their lifestyle and the things that they got caught up in, and yet the Bible calls Lot righteous Lot, and, um, you know, uh, again, King Saul, uh, there's been some question about him, whether he is with God or not. There's um, no I've questions. Heard... There's no questions there. So let me help you because we only got three minutes. And I, I was waiting sure. for you to formulate your question. I got it, but I needed to make sure there was not more. I only sure. got three minutes. So I'm going to help sure. you with something. Um, so God's people are always from the fall of Adam till the last person being saved. They have been and will always be saved sinners. Right. This, this fundamental theological truth is essential to God's glory and essential to the nature of redemption, both evangelically as well as personally, meaning that God has no people with the exception of Jesus that walk perfectly with God in order that the glory might belong to God 
at whatever level of sanctification and manifestation of grace will emerge out of our lives as objects of grace. But the Bible is absolutely clear that God has in his mercy allowed sin to abound in order that grace might much more abound as a tenor and narrative in the Old Testament. That is so abundantly clear. If we have a proper biblical lens, a lens of grace, looking at how grace worked in Adam's life, Eve's life, how grace worked in Noah's life, Abraham's life, and Sarah's life, how grace worked in Joseph's life, how it worked in in Judah's life, and Simeon and Benjamin, how it worked in uh, Isaac's life. And the list goes on and on. And all of those characters had flaws, many of them that I just named, and I didn't even begin to press into the monarchial period, have many flaws, David, Solomon, etc. But what people miss often is that they did not live lives where the tenor of their lives were disobedient. They lived lives where there were pockets of disobedience. And those pockets of disobedience were enhanced and augmented by God to show us what it looks like when we deliberately live contrary to dependence upon God for his grace and walk in the presumption of our position as sons and daughters of God. It looks like it was a wholesale life of rebellion, but that was not so. The text is clear with Solomon that it was in his latter days that his heart turned from God and he gave himself over to the 700 wives and 300 concubines and their gods, his latter days, which teaches us that we need to be careful when we get older. It is not true that Samson lived in the harlot's house all his life. There were only two women that Samson dealt with in that narrative. Only two. I wish I had time to unpack it. But both in Solomon's case and in Samson's case, these became great redemptive pictures of Jesus Christ loving sinners like you and I, because you and I are the harlots and he's the righteous one. And so where sin abound, grace doth much more abound. Solomon is God's private single solo judge compared to all the other judges in the account of the judges where they had people helping them with the exception of one or two. Uh, Samson goes directly into the heart of Philistine country and collapses the whole thing simply because he loved a woman who betrayed him, which is a very important gospel narrative. Christ is crucified by the very world that he comes to, and his death brings about the redemption of God's people. That paradoxical grace principle has to be seen. It would be true of you and I as well, as much as we want to live for God's glory as well and as right as we possibly can, the mystery of iniquity is going gonna, is gonna to trip us up from time to time. And we have to walk in the humility that, but for the grace of God, there go I. Now, God's grace is available for us to live magnificent lives of service and gratitude and sanctification. But he also does not give us so much favor and so much grace as to turn faith into a boast of our good works. Because at the end of the day, the best works of the best believer is nothing but filthy rags. When God looks at it and sees it for what it is, even with our best motives, they're still filled with corruption and sinfulness. There's none righteous but one, and his name is Jesus. And our faith is designed to find confidence in him alone ultimately in that day. Grace us, O God, to love you and serve you, but let us ever keep our eyes on the one that made it here and back home without sin, the lovely Lord Jesus. Until next time, keep your eyes on Christ.
Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.